There we go. That's a blessing, isn't it? Uh, love that song. Christ is ours forevermore. Um, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's going to be our text this morning. And as we're opening up to 1 Corinthians 14, I want you to imagine the old TV show like Perry Mason, the old Law and Orders, right? There's this quintessential scene. They're in the courtroom. The, the, the plaintiff's attorney had made some significant argument, and the defendant, enraged, yells, objection, right? We've all seen these court scenes, have we not? And then there's someone back in the galley that loses their mind and plunges toward the defendant. The, the jury starts ripping, roaring, and yelling, and screaming, and it's total chaos in the court. Have we all seen a scene like this? And what's happening? The judge is up at the front, banging his gavel. Order! Order in the court! Right? We've all experienced this, right? We've all seen this. Order in the court. Total chaos. And the judge is up in the front, banging his gavel, seeking to reestablish order in his courtroom. Well, it's not much different in the church in Corinth. We've been studying 1 Corinthians for a long time, and we've seen that there's chaos in leadership. There's chaos amongst the the congregation over which preachers they like, which teachers they like. There's division, strife, jealousy, envy, dissension. There's social chaos. There's moral chaos. Morality is run amok in the church. There's legal chaos. You have members of the church of Corinth who are having issues with each other, taking each other to court. It's chaos. Not only that, a few weeks ago, we, we talked about the Lord's Supper, and there was chaos there. In fact, people were getting drunk. There were people in the church getting drunk during the Lord's Supper. Chaos. Now, I think it's hard for us to imagine. But I want you to imagine with me this morning that as I'm standing here to preach God's word, Cody's got something he wants to say. Jeremiah's got something he wants to say. Ron's got something he wants to say. Kurt Tyrus has got something he wants to say. Tierney's got something he wants to say. Ziegler's got something he wants to say. Shingleton right there, he's got something he wants to say. All at the same time. Can you imagine? 
And not only that, there's like 15 people in here who for some reason want to speak in tongues at the same time. And on top of that, as we'll see in the text, there's a few ladies in the church that have some questions. And they're going to ask questions at the same time too. Can you imagine what that church service would be like? And don't forget, while all those guys are trying to preach at the same time, and those 15 people are speaking in tongues at the same time, and those ladies have questions at the same time, the praise band's up here singing a couple songs. <laughs> Chaos. And what Paul is doing in this text that we're reading this morning is banging his pen against his poppery saying order in the church. Order in the church. So let's read the text, 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to start in verse 26 and go through the end of the chapter. What then, brothers... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others in the congregation weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first prophet be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent. In the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, 
earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask for your wisdom and your grace to hear and believe your word as given through the Apostle Paul. Help us to see clearly the message that Paul had for this church and give us grace as a church here at Gray Road to obey this message for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's just dig into the text. Paul is giving specific instructions on order in the church. And it is important for us to understand as believers that this order being exercised in the church is an outworking of the love of God. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul gives us the chapter on love in the midst of his explanation of spiritual gifts, this is what he says. Think about this in the context of the local church. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And really what Paul is doing here in this text is showing us what does it look like for Christians men and women of faith, the people of God, to love each other in the community of believers as we gather together. And that's what Paul's doing. So what I want to do is look first at verse 27. He addresses tongues. It is obvious in the chapters that we've read up to this point that the exercising of the gifts of tongues has been a major source of contention in the church of Corinth. There's no order. It's chaotic. People are just doing what they want to do, when they want to do, how they want to do. And guess what? Paul's saying that is not loving you are not loving your brothers and sisters. Instead, what needs to happen is this. If, if anyone speak in a tongue. That means that it doesn't mean every time you get together, Corinth, that someone needs to speak in tongues. If any speak in tongues, 
Here it is, let there be only two or at most three. What would this mean for the church at Corinth? It would mean that there might be other people in the congregation who at that point in history were receiving the gift of tongues that would need to sit in the pew and be quiet. Let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn. And let someone interpret. And if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent. Paul's already made the argument in previous verses why it is not beneficial to the congregation for someone to stand up, start speaking in tongue, with no one to interpret what that person is saying. If there's no one to interpret, all people be quiet. Keep silent. And in that case, let that person speak between himself and God. Now, how does that line up with some of the stuff that we're seeing on TV these days? Folks who claim to be speaking in tongues, running around, saying they've been slain in the spirit, total lack of personal self-control and personal volition. Multiple people carrying on at the same time. Noise and distraction and chaos is what it is. And it is a direct defiance of the Word of God. It needs to be wholly rejected. Let's move on. Order in prophecy. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. So now Paul takes his attention from those who are speaking in tongues in the church to those who are exercising the gift of prophecy. And we've talked about prophecy over the last few weeks, and I would encourage you, if you've got questions about prophecy, to go back on YouTube, find the sermons that have been preached here about the exercising of these gifts, and listen to those. But we're not going to hash that all out today. But here we have, in this church, in 50 AD, folks who have the gift of prophecy, and Paul gives specific instruction to them. Two or three, prophets speak. Again, that means there might be 15 people in that congregation who have received a word of prophecy from the Lord. And that means 12 or 13 of them are going to have to stay silent and be quiet. They're not going to be able to be arrogant. They're not going to be able to be brash. They're not going to be able to be envious or jealous or rude. They're going to have to look at their brother and they're going to have to say to themselves, I will defer to him. 
I will set myself aside for him. Here's what's important for us to understand. The chaos in Corinth, the chaos in the worship service, the chaos in those who are prophesying and those who are speaking in tongues and in, in those who are insisting on certain songs that be sang, all of that chaos is driven by personal, selfish ambition and lack of love for everyone else in that congregation. And it's ugly. These folks are seeing the church, seeing the gathering of believers as an opportunity for them to make a platform for themselves. And it's wrong. So Paul says two or three prophets. Paul say, says that the, the congregation is to weigh what is said. You know, as we sit here and whoever comes up here to preach the word of God, your responsibility as a person of God, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, is to weigh what is said from this pulpit. Is what is said from this pulpit in line with the truth of God? If it is, I receive it. If it's not, I reject it. And I think it's very important to mention that some of us who may be at home watching preachers on television, to make sure you're exercising this gift in that arena as well, that you're weighing what is said every time the word of God is opened, every, every time someone is declaring the word and saying, this is the word of the Lord, the Christian has the responsibility to weigh it to test it. John warns of this. He says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets, many false teachers have gone out into the world. So in prophecy, Paul says two or three prophets, that's it. Paul says the congregation needs to weigh what is said. Paul says in verse 30 that it needs to be one at a time if revelation is made to another sitting there. So there's a prophet speaking. And right next to him, another person receives revelation from God. Paul tells the person that is speaking, sit down, be quiet. Let the first be silent. You can all prophesy one by one. Here's what's important, that the argument that the Spirit has come upon me and compelled me to exercise this gift in a way that I have no control over myself is false. Because Paul is specifically giving commandments who have to people who have the gift of tongues and to people who have been given the gift of prophecy. And he's telling them, listen, if someone else is talking, you sit down and be quiet. He says how this happens because the Spirit 
of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Thomas Schreiner says this this way, that Paul argues that the spirits of the prophets, that is the spiritual gifts of the prophets, are subject to the prophets. Or as the NIV puts it, they are subject to the control of the prophets. And here's the key. Spiritual gifts then do not take possession of people such that they are compelled to speak in tongues or prophecy. So those who are exercising spiritual gifts still have volitional control of themselves. And it's important that we use that control for the benefit of the congregation. All right, let's move on. Verse 33 through 35, Paul says this, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. This is the third time in this text that the words keep silent is used. It's used in verse 28, where the, the, the folks who have the gift of tongues are told to keep silent. They don't have an interpreter. It's used in verse 30, where it's told to the prophets to keep silent if someone else is speaking. And this is the third instance in the text. The text says that the, the women are not permitted to speak and that the women should keep silent. And there's interpretive um, difficulty in this text because of a text like 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is speaking to the women in verse 5. It says, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. And what we see in that verse is that there are some instances and some cases within the gathering of churches where women are allowed to speak, to say things. That this is not, Paul's not contradicting himself and saying that, that ladies can in no way, in any time, in any way, in any form of church gathering say anything. And as we discussed this this week, it, we know that Paul's not contradicting himself. And I think it's better to understand the text as saying a type of speaking. And the issue, if you look at the text, the issue is this. The woman should be in submission as the law says. That ladies should have a spirit of submission first to their husband. And second, to the elders of their congregation. The issue that Paul wants the church to recognize is that every believer, every follower of Christ, needs to understand that men and women both have roles in the church and in the family, and that we need to affirm those God-given orders and roles that God has established for the family and his church. I mean, this is really the same principle that we go back to when we were talking about the head coverings in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The issue in 1 Corinthians 11, the, the primary issue was not whether they put a cloth on their head or not. 
the primary issue in 1 Corinthians 11 is does the, the ladies, do the ladies recognize their roles that have been given to them by God and rejoice in those roles? Notice this is a universal truth that Paul is applying because he says, as in all the churches. This isn't something that's just tied to the church at Corinth. And he, he roofs this argument in the end of verse 34 where he says, as the law also says. He roofs this argument in the law, the Torah. I think we can see clarification on this verse by reading 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to do that, where Paul says, Let a, a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So much is at stake when it comes to this issue. And I recognize just saying this, saying these things, I recognize that this is difficult in our culture, in our day, to hear these things come from the Word of God. It is so contrary to the way our culture perceives things and has ordered things. And just a couple thoughts on this. Stepping outside of ladies in the church and thinking more about roles in general. It is important, every believer, let's think through this, it is important to know how sin affects the roles of society. Let's think this through. Sin drives Sin in the human heart drives human beings to rebel against God's design in every way, shape, and form possible. God designs, God orders, God commands, God structures, and sin comes in and seeks to drive us as human beings to rebel against every single aspect of it. Does it not? Every single aspect. Leaders are supposed to love and serve the people they lead. The elders of Gray Road Baptist Church have an obligation to you as members of this church to love you, to seek your well-being over our own, to give of our lives for your service, but sin seeks to take men who are in leadership and drive them to use their authority, to use their position, to use and abuse the people that are under their leadership. That's what sin drives us to do, isn't it? That's what sin does. Citizens are to sub submit to their governments. Congregations are to submit to their elders. Wives are to submit to their husbands. 
Children are to submit to their parents, and sin seeks to destroy all of God's design and order in society. Sin disdains all authority and desires self-rule. Right? And here's the other reality. The sinful hearts of human beings want the, the quote-unquote power and authority and prestige and position that comes with whatever leadership position we may be thinking about, but does not want the responsibility. So I was thinking about this this week. I, my heart was sobered by James 3 where James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. over and at the end of the day when the elders of Gray Road Baptist Church and those who help lead and the deacons of Gray Road Baptist Church stand before God we will be held to account before God for the manner in which we led this congregation And I can promise you, folks, I can promise you that the men who sit around that elder's table do not take that lightly. Here's the reality. Listen to these words. Spirit-filled Christians. Christians who have the Holy Spirit of God residing in their heart must be people who are committed to fulfilling their God-given roles in society, in their families, and in the church with joy and love to the glory of God. That's a mouthful, and I'm going to say it again. Spirit-filled Christians must be people who are committed to fulfilling their God-given roles in society, in their families, and in the church with joy and love to the glory of God. Let me ask you this. How would that, how would that change changing chaos into order?
Uh, I'm losing my place in my notes here. All right. Paul says this, if there's anything that the women desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. And here's what I want to say on this text. And I know there's difficulties, there are um, questions. And as Kevin told you a couple weeks ago, that you could come and ask me questions. If you have questions after the sermon, Kevin will be right here after the end of the service. (laughs) And and you can go and ask him any question you have. And, And he would be glad to buy you lunch as well. Uh, sorry man I had to do it but remember what is happening here Paul is seeking to restore order in the church and we don't know everything that was going on in Corinth but we can definitely take away from this text that there were some ladies in that congregation at that time in that place saying things at the wrong time, asking questions in the wrong way, in the wrong place, causing distractions and causing chaos in the church. And here's what Paul's saying. Stop it! And here, we, we aren't against questions here. We, we encourage folks in our congregations, they have a question, to come on up to the front after the service and let's talk. But there has to be order in the church. That's the point. There has to be order in the church. Finally, let's look at um, order in authority. Paul says this in, in verse 36. Or, Corinthians, was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. It's clear in reading these verses that the the folks in Corinth, there were some people in that congregation that did not like what he had to say. They did not like at all what he had to say. And so Paul challenges them. Where did the word of God come from? Who brought to you the word of God? And if anyone thinks that he is a prophet in the church, a leader in the church, or thinks that they are spiritual, they will acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command from the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Paul is saying if there are people in the church who are not recognizing the authority of the apostles, they should not be recognized. So, brothers and sisters, if we see people who are preaching and teaching and doing things that are out of line with the teaching of Scripture, out of line with the Word of God, out of line with the commandments coming from the Apostle Paul, then we must reject them. We must reject them. Order in authority. The way that order is kept 
and established in the church is when the church recognizes the authority of the word of God over all life and practice of the local church. Make sense? All right. So here's Paul's summary. Paul's summary is in verse uh, 39. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. And that's the point. And why do we do this? Why is it a concern for the church to do things decently in order? Well, verse 26 says that we want to do all of these things. The reason we're going to do things decently and in order is that all things will be done for the building up of the church. That's the desire. That the church would be built up and verse 31 says, so that all may be encouraged. And this is why order matters. Now, what I want you to do for a second is I want you to listen. It's quiet in here. There's order in this room. And why is there order in this room? And why is it quiet in here? And why is it, as I look out in, in this auditorium, I see person after person after person after person with a Bible open sitting on their lap? Why is that? Because the greatest need of every human heart the greatest need of every soul that is in this room is to hear from God. To hear His Word. To hear and to know and to understand and to believe His truth. And we know that there are people in this room this morning who are not Christians. Who need to hear the message of Scripture. Don't they? They must hear the message of the Bible. We need to know, our souls need to know that we are creatures created by the almighty, sovereign, holy God of this universe. We need to know that we belong to him as his creatures and he has rightful rule over our lives. We, as humanity, human beings, have rebelled against God. Our father, Adam, fell into sin in the garden as Toby read this morning, and we, every single last one of us, have been sinners sinning ever since. Our guilt before God is immeasurable. 
The weight of our sin before a holy God is incalculable. And the truth of Scripture is this, that as a result of our guilt, we all deserve to be found under the wrath of God. Every last one of us deserve to live out the eternity of our existence under His judgment because of our sin against Him. We're guilty. But this is the message of the Bible, isn't it, brothers and sisters? While we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we were by nature children of wrath, Christ died for us. The innocent was crushed for the guilty. The pure was defiled for the vile. The righteous for the unrighteous. Why are we quiet in church? Why is there order in the church? Because we need to hear that. Every human being needs to hear that. Why? Why did God crush, why did God crush his holy son? For our sake, for our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange of Scripture. The Holy Son of God was crushed for our sin that we might receive his righteousness. Do you believe that? that we might receive his righteousness and as a result of receiving his righteousness, go from being children of wrath under his condemnation to being innocent. No longer guilty. Set free from sin. And friends, if you're in here this morning and you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this congregation of believers, this church here at Gray Road Baptist Church, we implore you as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. Repent of your sin. Recognize your brokenness. Humble yourself before the throne of heaven. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. We are all going to stand face to face before God. Every person in this room. It is appointed unto a man to die in judgment.
And every one of us is going to stand before the throne of heaven, before the holy judge of all the earth. And there will be two options. We will either stand there with our great high priest clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and saved for all of eternity. Or we will go before the throne room of heaven and stand there in our sin. Don't let that be you. No distractions. No chaos. But order. And this is why Christians must be orderly in worship for the good of all. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We are thankful for the truth of the Bible. We are thankful for the hope of the gospel. We give you praise for the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this body. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to love each other, to always put others before ourselves, that each one of us as members of Gray Road would serve this church humbly for your glory alone. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.